Hey, welcome to Access. John here. On September 11th at 4 p.m., we're going to hold a new building dedication for our Family Life Center for use in the community. Have you ever wondered why time after time you can't seem to make wise choices? Or why you haven't accomplished all that you've wanted to in life? Today we're going to examine scripture to see if we can find an explanation as to what's really going on in our minds. Today's message is entitled, The Instant Gratification Monkey. Have you ever recognized the war that goes on in your mind? Today we're going to spend some time in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 13 through 26. So if you'll turn in your copy of scripture to Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 26. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Last week um, we spent some time talking about the war that's going on within our hearts. And we talked about Proverbs 4.23 that says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from your heart. Um, but also keep in mind that Jesus Christ has our sins covered. He's covered our sins of the sacrifice that he made on, our, on the cross for us. This means, we talked about this a little last week, this means that we have freedom in Christ to do whatever we want without fear of condemnation. Paul says in Romans 6, 1-2, What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How could we live in it any longer? So in other words, those who are in Christ are no longer dominated by sin, but have freedom to live for Jesus Christ, no longer controlled by the sinful nature. So last week I spent some time talking about the war taking place in our hearts to help explain how things seem to snowball and spiral out of control. But today I want to spend some time reflecting on the war taking place in our minds. And what I'm about to share with you isn't an original idea that I can take credit for. It's actually an idea that I was first introduced to by Aaron because she likes to get on the internet and uh, scroll and she finds interesting stuff, which we're going to talk about that subject this morning. Um, it's What she read was from a blog post by a guy named Tim Urban who runs a website called waitbutwhy.com. Uh, waitbutwhy.com. And this... Uh, I really like the way this guy explains the inner workings of your mind. And in his original application, he applies this idea that I'm about to share with you to procrastination. Now, I have to warn you that the, the guy is an atheist. And so if you are going to go and read some of his stuff, guard your heart. Um, and you, you might be wondering, why in the world, if he is an atheist, are you quoting and, and sharing an idea that he had in church? Well, the answer to that is, is that um, I believe that even a blind squirrel can find an acorn every once in a while. And so um, there is something very significant to, the, to what he shares. And so what I've done is I've kind of taken his idea and I built off of it. And I've even looked at it through a godly lens and interpreted it uh, in, in, a, in a godly way. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about the instant gratification monkey. And um, basically... When we think about how our minds work and, and the inner workings of our mind, what we think of is we think of a little guy at the helm of our decision-making that is the rational decision-maker. Basically, we think that we can do anything, we put, anything that we put our minds to. You know, carpe diem, we can seize the day, just go out and get it done. Unfortunately, this isn't really an accurate picture of how our minds work. You see, we, each of us, we have um, what Tim Urban calls an instant gratification monkey that lives in our minds. And the instant gratification monkey is only concerned about what feels good right now. He does not care um, about long term. He doesn't think about the consequences 
nor does he really learn from the past. The only function of the instant gratification monkey is to do whatever it feels like doing right then, right now. So let's say, for example, you woke up and you look at your to-do list for the day and you realize that you have a lot of stuff to do. And you make a list. Now, the monkey didn't have a problem with a list, but when you actually start trying to do things on the list, the monkey comes up with all kinds of alternatives and um, actually leads you away from getting any work done. Again, the instant gratification monkey doesn't really care if you have a lot of stuff to do or a little stuff to do. All he cares about is getting his way. So maybe you can think about it this way. Have you ever gone onto YouTube and you clicked on a link and you started watching a video and you look up and two hours have passed and all of a sudden you realize that you were watching something completely ridiculous on YouTube. That's what we call the dark side of YouTube and you can thank your instant gratification monkey for that. Because it isn't enough to just, you know, have a little pleasure now. No, see the instant gratification monkey, he wants pleasure all the time. And that's all he can really think about and that's all he really looks forward to is instant gratification. So, um, maybe you heard it this way. Time flies when you're having fun. When the instant gratification monkey is at the helm of your decision-making process, you will always lose track, lose track of time, and you're going to end up regretting letting him drive. Now, if you ever wonder what happens inside the mind of an addict, this is it. The instant gratification monkey takes control. Now, I've said it many times that whenever you are addicted to drugs and you're on drugs, you're not yourself anymore, that you literally become an animal. Uh... You do what feels good right then, and you never really worry about the future. Your instant gratification monkey is driving your decisions. The monkey might even use a Bible verse or two to help justify its decision making. It, may, it might say something like, doesn't it say in Matthew 6.34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now this is yet another verse where the word therefore is so incredibly important because the context of the passage is talking about not allowing stress to poison your thoughts and actions. It's not talking about shirking responsibility, but you know what? The monkey doesn't really care. The instant gratification monkey will tell you anything that he has to just as long as you do everything that he feels like doing. But there's another character that you should be familiar with that also lives in your mind. He's called the panic monster. Now, the panic monster only has one fat function, to panic. Basically, the panic monster is the only thing that the instant gratification monkey is scared of. When the panic monster comes out, the instant gratification mon monkey runs back to where he came from, right up the tree. Now, I, I think this is really true, and if you've ever gone to college, you I know that you have experienced the panic monster. You have been in a class, for example, the first class, the professor comes and hands you a syllabus. And you think to yourself, you know, I really ought to get started on all these projects because in the syllabus it gives you a list, a detailed list, of what is due and when. And you think, you know, I've got a lot of major projects coming up, I've got a lot of papers coming up, I really ought to get started on this right now. But the monkey, he says, you know, that all sounds great, but there's plenty of time for all that later. Why don't we go have some fun for now? And you know that as the day approaches, you're in big trouble. But the panic monster sleeps until the last possible moment. 
you wake up, all of a sudden the panic monster come in and, and he starts screaming at you. You have a 20-page research paper due in the morning. And all of a sudden, not only do you start panicking, but the instant gratification monkey is gone. And you're able to somehow do some work. Now, although you looked at a blank piece of paper several times and never could get started in the past, you're somehow able to navigate your way through page after page with record speed. Now, of course, the paper won't really be worth reading, let alone grading, but hey, at least it will be done. So, you know, big deal. You had to pull an all-nighter, and, you know, you had to suffer through a long day of class, work, and screaming with, no, with kids on no sleep. But at least you got it done. And this is how your life goes. Instant gratification monkey, put all things to the last minute. Panic monster, get things done. And this wouldn't be such a big deal, except there are things that don't seem to wake the panic monster up from its hibernation. The panic monster only gets worked up about things that affect you immediately. The panic monster doesn't panic when it comes to things that are long-term. For example, the panic monster doesn't worry about saving for retirement because, hey, that's a long ways away, and you know what? You have plenty of time to do all that later. The panic monster doesn't really panic about spending time with your kids because, yeah, you've got a few more years left before they leave home. We'll worry about that later. The panic monster doesn't panic off of stupid decisions that will affect your life next week. It only panics on what's going to affect your life in the immediate future. For example, I had a guy come to me once and say, I've been sleeping with a married woman while her husband was away on a job, and now she's pregnant and her husband's coming home and he's going to find out. What do I do? That's his panic monster. I told him, build a time machine, go back and don't do that. I mean, what do you say to somebody? There's nothing really that can be done. Run. I mean, what do you say? You see, his panic monster didn't wake up until it was far, far too late. So basically, the instant gratification monkey he had a great time until the panic monster woke up. Now, when our only source of decision making is when the panic, the, making good decisions is when the panic monster wakes up. Every single decision we make will never be wise. It will always be foolish. One time, Erin and I had to go to the emergency room. She was having severe abdominal pain, and what we heard on the other side of the curtain absolutely broke our hearts. It was a doctor telling a man that he had cirrhosis of the liver and that he didn't have very much longer left to live because of his alcoholism. And the man began weeping and pleading with her, saying, please, please treat me and fix me somehow. I can live better, I swear. I I'll stop drinking. I can give up the bottle. But she just kept telling him, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's too late. You see, the panic monster only wakes up when something affects your life today. Except oftentimes, it's way too late for anything to be done. Now, if you think of your, your life in terms of months, think about it this way. If you live to be 90 years old, that would mean you would experience 1,080 months of your life. Now, that sounds like a whole lot, but if you were actually to make a circle on a page 1,080 times, it's actually a lot less than it sounds. Now, I'm about to turn 32 uh, this Thursday. That would mean I have experienced 384 months of the 1,080 months. So 384 circles would actually be colored in. And as I look at this page, I have a page in front of me with um, 1,080 circles and 384 shaded in, and I can see that my life, even if I live to be 90 years old, is already one-third of the way over. Now let's throw another variable into the mix. 
Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. You don't know if you're going to live to be 90 years old. And still, there's a lot of things that you and I have left unaccomplished. There's a lot more that we want to accomplish out of life, right? Now, even though this is true, and even though this, you know this is true, notice the panic monster didn't wake up. And I think that, you know, as, as we kind of look at this and talk about this, there's even another dynamic that comes into the mix. You see, every once in a while, we evaluate where we are in life. And we think about what we want to accomplish and or what we should have accomplished by now. And most of the time when we do this, we experience something not quite pleasant. And I think we start looking for someone to blame because we need an explanation as to where, why we're not where and who we want to be. And we criticize the past us for not making better decisions. But despite all this, we still allow the instant gratification monkey to make decisions for us. And this introduces yet another character whom we interact with in our minds. The self-loathing monster. The self-loathing monster's only function is to criticize us and to tear us down. Now, most people are able to recognize that it's not everybody else's fault as to why they're not where they want to be in life. And so that only leaves me, myself, and I to blame. The self-loathing monster is absolutely ruthless. He hates us. He tells us things that tear us down and criticize. He criticizes and he doesn't really care how much he hurts us, just as long as somebody takes the blame. Now keep in mind the instant gratification monkey doesn't really come to our defense. He doesn't say, hey, back off, self-loathing monster. This was really my idea. I'll take the blame. No, no. The instant gratification monkey is too busy looking for more gratification. And so this is a more accurate scenario, I think, of the way things happen in our minds. We desperately want to make wise choices, but because of the stupid instant gratification monkey, we are somehow unable to. The panic monster isn't really any help to us unless there's something that affects our lives right here and right now. And the self-loathing monster makes us feel miserable about the mistakes that we've made, leaving the instant instant gratification monkey in charge. And so what I've just illustrated for you is the mind of a lost person. According to the Bible, the person who is lost is dominated by the sinful nature, also known as the instant gratification monkey. Now recently I, I watched uh, an interview with Robin Williams right before he died, and Mr. Williams described what we're calling today the instant grat- his instant gratification monkey as a voice that whispered to him. The interviewer asked him, will you hear a voice, what does the voice say? And Robin Williams responded, oh, he says things like, take another drink. It's only one more. Or when you're standing on a ledge, he says, go ahead, jump. You see, the panic, mon- mo- the, the, the panic monster, the instant gratification monkey, and the self-loathing monster, they all are in cahoots, and they have an agenda. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But first, let me tell you that God didn't originally create us with a monkey in our minds. When we were created, we simply had a rational decision maker at the helm. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, that's when the monkey moved in. And you and I, we were born into sin, thus we were born with a little monkey in our minds. We very foolishly believe that we can somehow convince this monkey to be responsible and behave, that we can keep this monkey under control. We try to educate him and remind him of what what happened in the past, but the monkey does not care. The monkey only wants to do what he wants right now, 
regardless of the consequences. The panic monster reassures us that he'll come in screaming when something critical is about to happen, but often he misses his cue. <coughs> and so we're stuck with a stupid monkey, the occasional rants and ravings of the panic monster, and the critical attacks from the self-loathing monster because we haven't accomplished all we wanted to. And we think this is the way that it has to be. But believe it or not, there is a better way. Jesus gives us an alternative to how we can live our lives. Now, if you don't know yet, let me tell you, God is awesome. God is somehow able to speak truth without agreeing with the self-loathing monster. He shines light into our situation and he reveals what's really going on inside of us. He shows us our heart. He shows us that we're sinners and that we're headed, for hell, headed to hell without Jesus. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit to help guide us in our decisions. He shows us that we're not worthless sinners. Jesus tells me, I've been adopted into the family, that I am a child of the King. He casts away the self-loathing monster by reminding me that Ephesians 2.10 says, For you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. He teaches me that I don't have anyone to fear except for the Father. He reminds me that I have freedom to live in Christ without fear of condemnation. He tells me, therefore, there is now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ, Romans 8.1. And so, he replaces the panic monster with a much better system. He sends us a counselor, a guide for our thoughts and our, and, and our decisions, and it's called He's called the Holy Spirit. And so we're left with the representation of Jesus Christ in our minds and the monkey. Now the Bible often refers to this as the flesh and the spirit. This is a constant war that wages in our minds. And Paul talks about this battle a little bit, this war, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. I want to read that, and you can read along with me. He says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We've been freed. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature, otherwise known as the instant gratification monkey. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. What is the agenda of the self-gratification monkey, the self-loathing monster, the instant gratification monkey, and the panic monster? To destroy ourselves and to destroy each other. He says, watch out or you're going to be destroyed by each other. He says, so I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature the instant gratification monkey. For the sinful nature, monkey, desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature, the monkey. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. He says, listen, the acts of the sinful nature, or the instant gratification monkey, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, 
and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I want to stop there. Notice he doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, singular. It's love. And the rest of these are extensions of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the instant gratification monkey, the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now you may be wondering, what in the world does all this have to do with the instant gratification monkey? Well, I think we tend to think as believers that we can keep our monkey or our sinful nature under control. But nothing could be further from the truth. Paul explains that those who are in Christ must put to death the desires of the sinful nature. Does that mean that we go to hell if we don't? No. What it means is, is that you allow your monkey to ruin your life by making choices that aren't wise and thus aren't good for you. The flesh and the spirit, they are not friends. That's what Paul says. They are bitter enemies. In other words, we can't train our monkeys to behave. You see, we seem to think that we can get this monkey to just behave. And what we need to understand is, is that will never happen. We will never get our flesh to cooperate with the spirit. They will always be at war. So the question is, who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the flesh? Are we going to follow the instant gratification monkey? Or are we going to follow the spirit? The representation of Christ in our minds, in our hearts. I think the best way I've heard this explained is in the story of a man who fought dogs for a living. You've probably heard this. I've talked about this a lot. Basically, there is a man that brings dogs to fight and he bets on which one would win. And for some reason, he always wins. And, and it's a mystery, it was a mystery to everybody. Well, how, do you, how do you always bet on the right one? And he never would tell them until the end of his career. And someone pleaded with him, just tell me, tell me, how did you always know which one was going to win? And he said, I always, know, I always knew which one would win because it was the one I consistently fed. So basically, our flesh and our spirit are at war with one another. Which one will win? The one that we consistently feed. Well, let me tell you what we like to do. For some reason or another, we like to feed the stupid monkey. Here you go, monkey. Here's another banana. And I think we think that we can be friends with our monkey and everything's going to get along. Because the instant gratification monkey does what we like. But we keep feeding the monkey and keep feeding the monkey. And then when it really matters... At the critical moments when wisdom is needed, when we need to follow the Spirit, what happens is, because the monkey is fed and the monkey is strong, the monkey hijacks our controls and we don't make wise choices. We follow the flesh because the flesh is powerful. It's not that the Spirit is powerless in us, it's just that we haven't been consistently feeding the Spirit. And because of that, we don't make wise choices. God gives us the spiritual disciplines. 
in Scripture to teach us how to feed our spirit. Things that we can practice to feed the spirit and not the instant gratification monkey. Allow me to give you a great example. Several times in Scripture we're shown that we have the ability to fast. In fact, prayer and fasting go hand in hand. It's not not a, a, a means to, to manipulate God. We think, well, I can fast when I pray, and that shows God that I'm really serious. No, that's not what it's for. Fasting is simply a way to remove the instant gratification monkey from the equation, that you can just focus on prayer and focus on God. It's feeding the spirit to ensure that when there's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, the spirit will win. You know, Aaron and I, we're a part of a group Bible study with friends right now, and we're studying the book of John. And John is an absolutely incredible book. I love the book of John. In fact, I've changed my favorite Bible verse from Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, to John 3.30, because I believe it more accurately captures my life. John 3.30 says, He must become greater, I must become less. While I was reading John, I ran across a verse in John 4 that absolutely hurt. While I was reading John, I, I ran across the passage where Jesus is just interacted with the woman at the well and his disciples come back and think, why are you talking to her? But you know what? We're not going to ask that. We Hey, we brought you some food. And Jesus denies the food and tells them, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And when I read that, I immediately felt convicted. I have a condition most of you know about, and if you don't know about it, the best way that I can explain it is it's called achalasia, and if you don't know what that is, it's absolutely miserable. I hate it. And I can live with food getting stuck in my esophagus. That's not the bad part. The bad part is that I have gut-wrenching pain that radiates up my jaw, and it strikes me at the weirdest moments, and um, when it really is bad, I just dry heave and dry heave and dry heave and pray to God, please let this stop. I've tried just about everything I can think of to get it to stop. I know that God has a purpose and a plan because he hasn't healed me despite my prayers, and so I know God has a purpose for this. But for some reason, I just have not really found an effective way to treat this pain. I drink water, and it doesn't stop. I, I you know, I try to eat different foods, and it doesn't stop. It just It's rare. It comes at and it's random. It hits me at the weirdest times, mostly when I'm laying down. Acid reflux, and I can't get it to stop. Well, I found one thing that helps me. And I know this is going to be hard, hard to believe, but it's absolutely true. One of the things I helped me, I found to help me manage this, this condition that I have is, is wine. Which is absolutely weird because wine is so acidic. It doesn't make any sense, but it does. For some reason or another, it helps. And it started out with me just drinking a glass of wine whenever I was having a problem. But see, that wasn't good enough for the monkey. The monkey said, why not have a drink to prevent the pain instead of treating the pain when you have it? Why not drink one drink every night as a precaution? And then when I'd have one drink a night, it would say, well, what's one more drink? You've already had one. We don't want that pain to come back. And then it says, well, What's one more? Now you've already had two. What's one more? 
You've already had three. What's one more? You know what? You forgot to count. So what's one more? Pretty soon, I was going through 15 liters of wine every two weeks. See, the monkey got its way while the panic monster slept in hibernation. And the self-loathing monster just came right around, especially when I read verses like 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 3. This is, Now the overseer or the pastor is above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And the self-loathing monster would criticize me. Tell me things like, you're not worthy to be the pastor of a church. But you know, God's word somehow was able to penetrate my hard heart with a very simple verse about Jesus. He denied himself. And I realized, you know, I'm not really denying myself very much anymore at all. Jesus said, my food is to do the one of the will of the one who sent me. When I read that verse, it struck a chord in my heart and I began to weep. And I decided, you know what, I'd rather be in pain than be an alcoholic. And it's funny, you know, you guys, you call me, you text me, you occasionally ask, you know, Pastor John, can you pray for me? Because I've got something in my life that is so hard to deal with. And I think to myself, you know, if they only knew... I don't think I could explain it to them. Now's not the right time, but if they only knew, would I even be their pastor anymore? Now, I tell you this for two reasons. I want you to know that, number one, I'm just a man, not to put your faith in me, because I will let you down. If, if you don't feel I can be a pastor of a church, then I understand. But I also tell you this because I understand I understand there is a battle going on between us, between the flesh and the spirit. And when we feed the flesh, the flesh wins. And I think all of this stems from the way that we perceive how our minds really work, or even how we perceive our future selves. Because you know, when we think of our future selves, we think of a person who is kind and successful. We think of a person who is where we want to be in life. And we think, yeah, that's who I want to be. And that's who I'm going to be. But we don't realize that who we really want to be isn't a better version of us. Because you know what? That's still not good enough. Who we really want to be is Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. He handled situations exactly the way that we would want to handle situations. If someone was accusing you, saying all things, all kinds of things that aren't true, you'd want to keep your mouth shut before your accusers. But often that's not what happens, is it? Jesus was confident and calm in the midst of a storm. He was self-controlled. But that's not really where we are, is it? He was without sin, but he still ate with sinners, and he didn't condemn those who were dominated by their instant gratification monkey. Again, that's not really where we are. But isn't that where we want to be? You know, if I was more like Jesus and less like me, what would my life look like? I think this is why my favorite verse is John 3.30. He must become greater, I must become less. 
You know, what's really cool is that Jesus says, hey, you can be like me. He says in Luke 9, 23, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, if you want to be like me, you must do what I did. You must do what I do. You must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross daily. And you must follow me. Does this mean we can never have fun? You know, that's such a ridiculous notion. I think that, that following Jesus is turning away from fun. And number two, that, that the sinful nature is how we really have fun. Every year we take kids to camp, and every single year I ask them at the end of camp, did you guys have a great time? Oh, it was amazing. Can you wait to come back? Oh, I can't wait to come back. I don't want to leave. You had a lot of fun. Yeah, man, it was so much fun. And I said, well, listen, isn't it funny you had so much fun, but you didn't do anything sinful this week. It's one of those things. We think that the sinful nature, that the instant gratification monkey is how to really have fun. But you can have a great time without surrendering to your sinful nature. Living by the Spirit is fun. Sure, it doesn't fit the mold of what we think is fun. And it's not pretending to be better than we are, or pretending that, you know, that there's not a monkey in our minds. It's surrendering to Jesus Christ and asking him to teach us how to have God-centered fun. It's saying, Jesus, show me how to find enjoyment in you. I can tell you with certainty it looks nothing like letting the monkey drive, and it looks a lot more like carrying our cross. How will we endure this burden? got to carry a cross, an instrument of torture and pain and suffering. We get through this burden by meditating on Colossians 3.2, which says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on Christ, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do it with Christ. Live by the Spirit. Make decisions today that your future self will thank you for. And for goodness sake, don't feed the monkey. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.